moved to Wilmington uh, to become the area director for Young Life. And, you know, most of the times when you're doing ministry, and, and I'm sure it's really just with your life, um, I don't think it's unique to ministry, but you think, what, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, what am I doing here? Uh, is what I'm doing here matter? You know, you have those questions, do you not? You don't have to be in ministry to have those kinds of questions. And so the very first, one of the very first persons I met was Sid Bratcher. He was a junior at UNCW and graduated in 1990. And uh, he probably looked at me and thought, what, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but it was a great moment. And uh, that was 25 years ago now. And Sid has gone on to be the area director in a couple of different places, most recently in Greenville, uh, North Carolina. And he's going to preach for us today. So it's a great, it's really a great moment to see, gosh, 25 years, you know, has gone by and you see this man who, if we were, I can specifically remember driving down College Road and asking him to be the team leader at Hoggart High School. And, uh, you know, at that moment, there would have been no way uh, he and I could have thought we would have gotten to this moment. They're just, we would have never guessed it in a million years. And so it's really, it's really a joy for me to see Sid preach the gospel, uh, the same one that we've been partnering together with for, for 25 years. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's stand together as we read and then reflect on God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You may be seated and let's take a moment together to reflect on God's word. Well, I've introduced Sid. Let me uh, pray for him before we hear from him. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this brother and this uh, partner in the gospel. So thankful for the work that he's done in the lives of uh, many high school and college folks in Greenville, North Carolina. Thank you for his wife, Bethany, his four children. Pray that you bless their ministry. Especially pray that you bless him now with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach and teach your people the eternal truths of God's word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Paul. I didn't know he had to come tell me. I saw he had to come tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you're supposed to be up here. It is really a blessing to be here today, and it's fun. I have that same memory. Uh, Katie's great needs is on your right. And you asked me, I was like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? You want me to do what? That's so funny. It's the exact same memory I have. Um, it is really fun to be here and a blessing to, to be with you all this morning. Um, good morning. My mom and dad are here. It's fun to have them here in the crowd. I, I'm a Wilmington native and grew up uh, New Hanover High School and then was UNCW and graduated in 1990. And 
Um, when I came, when I was a young life leader, there was a lot of transition in the staff here. We had Tommy Mann, then we had a, a fellow named Carl Briggs, and then we had a, a nobody for a little while. And then along came this guy with a sleek new flat top and the you know, dark hair. It was dark back then, so it was mine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, just a vision for ministry. And he started um, cleaning house. I mean, they, maybe we had five leaders. I don't know how many we had back then, but he fired half of them at least. And I was sure I was going to be another one. That he got rid of, but for some reason he didn't. Thanks, Paul, for not running me off in those days. And instead of firing me, he asked me to take this leadership role. And anyway, it's, it's, it's been neat to reflect this week at thinking about coming here and, and how um, God has used Paul in my life to greatly, um, you know, move me down the road toward following him. You know, to take me to um, a place where I, here I am, twenty, you know, twenty-two or three years into full-time ministry on Young Life staff and. Paul is such a part of that. Now, you know, I, I know what you mean. You don't really know what God's doing. <laughs> you hope to say the right thing, or you hope you've got some wisdom when this goofy college kid comes to you and says, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But Paul really um, enabled me to, to um, step into the leadership gifts that God had for me. I think that's what he did by placing me in, in places of leadership where I didn't necessarily feel fit. He, um, he was able to, um, you know, steer me in that direction, and really God just used that significantly to shape me through the years. And I haven't, you know, just reflecting on it this week has been interesting to think back. I, I, that's a, that is a specific moment, but I don't have a whole lot of other specific moments. But I remember just in general that Paul was about um, seeing the potential in people and, and, and point him to, to the direction of living into that. So I'm very grateful for you and, and just for this um, in the community of Wilmington. I've kind of watched this church from a distance over the years. I was in Shelby for a while and then in Greenville for the past 15 years. And it's been neat to watch. I'd visit every once in a while when I came and it's just been fun to kind of see and hear, you know, know Sam and a lot of the other folks that are involved here. Katie Biagini is a good friend of mine. And so um, it's just been fun to know about a church and, to, and interesting just to hear that little snapshot of, of ministry. And hopefully there are a lot more of those. I know there are. And, um, but anyway, I'm honored to be here this morning and excited to share with you just a simple idea, really. I feel like I've heard a lot of great information this morning in David's class, and now I'm um, thinking about um, going to faraway places like Turkey, which I won't say anymore. Um, and those kinds of things. I um, I just have a simple idea to share with you this morning, and it, um, it has to do with uh, our perspective. I think Paul has an interesting perspective on life. You know, he's kind of a driven, very determined personality, and and I think all of us, you know, we we have a lens that, that we view life through, and, our, and those lenses kind of shape who we are. Uh, and to generally talk about it, I think the, the, the most often used op, uh, description is either you're an optimist or you're a pessimist. Some people would say realist is in the middle, but I don't really think that. I think a realist is subjective. It could be a, you could be a real optimist or a real pessimist. I don't, I don't know how that works. So maybe a middleist is the, is the middle person. But optimist and pessimist, optimist glass half full is kind of the picture we see. And the, the pessimist is the glass half empty. And I grew up in um, in a house. My mom, sorry, mom, she she's a pessimist. <laughs> she's a warrior. She is. She's glasses. It's hardly had anything in it. You know, it's just. <laughs> um, and my dad's a little more of an optimist. But for some reason, as I you know navigated the waters of life, I became much more of an optimist than either of them. I think um, looking at life now, I, just how I am. And we all have different things that determine our place on the spectrum. And I thought, you know, you probably already know who you are, where you are on that. And it's interesting how much it determines how we live our lives. But I have a few reflections, um, insights, pictures, and uh, quotes about this idea. So here are a few of them. Is the glass half empty, half full, or twice as big as it needs to be? I like that's kind of the middleist, you know. <laughs> it's twice as big as it needs to be. 
Uh, when asked if my cup is half empty or half full, my only response is, I'm just thankful to have a cup. Now, that's my mom. <laughs> and she'd give you a cup, you know, but you can have it if you need it. It might break. I'm worried it's going to break. I mean, that's <laughs> half, half empty. <laughs> Harry Truman says, a pessimist is one who makes difficulties of his opportunities. And an optimist is one who makes opportunities of his difficulties. Now, that's something you could build a country on. Harry Truman, of course, he had a good insight. Um, there's a man named James Branch Cabo. When you, I don't know who he is, but when you, when, you search this, when you search this topic, his quote comes up a lot. And it says this, The optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds. And the pessimist believes this is true. I like that. Think about it. <laughs> it's just all we're going to get. The pessimist says all we're going to get. Um, and then finally, Bill, Bill Cosby, a great theologian. The question is, is the, is the glass half full or half empty? Well, Bill says it depends on whether you're pouring or drinking. <laughs> Which I, I like that one. <laughs> and then I, I found this. You can't read it from there, but I found this little note. Uh, it says, Dear Optimist, Pessimist, and Realist, while you guys were busy arguing about the glass of water, I drink it. Sincerely, the opportunist. <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> well, um, no matter where you're on the spectrum, we all have a perspective, a lens through which we view life. And some of us are pessimists, some of us are optimists. And absolutely, the perspective we're coming from affects the way we see things. We could be looking at the exact same scenario but our perspective uh, absolutely affects the way we live our lives. And, and this morning, I, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the challenge that Paul gives us in the beginning of Romans 12. And it, I think, has to do with this. Paul read the, uh, I don't know, ESV version maybe. But I, I'm going to use the New International, the old New International. Now they've made a new inter, New International. The NN, and I, I don't know how it works. The NIV 84, that's my, that's my edition, old school. Um, I want to use that one this morning. But in the 12th chapter of Romans, you know, it's kind of a turning point in the book of Romans. Paul's spent all this time, uh, you know, building a case of who is God and what is grace and who is Jesus and all. What is sin? He just lays it out so completely, thoroughly. It's, it's a wonderful book. And then he kind of turns the corner in chapter 12 and begins to apply it. Um, therefore, he says, he turns the corner. Um, and then the NIV, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what he's done, in light of all these things I just wrote about in these 11 chapters, in view of God's mercy, to do something. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy. And that kind of captured me as I was thinking about this in the past few weeks. Uh, that idea of what does it mean to, to live in view of God's mercy? Um, having it in view implies that we, we know it. We're able to focus on it. We, we see it. We're in a place where we are aware of God's mercy. Uh, and in thinking about that, I believe there are three ways that we can most clearly see God's mercy in our lives. Um, and by the way, mercy, I think, is, it, it would be defined is, is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is compassion. It's forgiveness. It's benevolence. It's love. Mercy. Um, so the, clearest, the first and clearest way that I think we see God's mercy is in the life of Jesus. Uh, we just, you can see it so clearly. And I want to take a few minutes this morning just to walk through some stories from Jesus' life. So if you're trying to follow along in Scripture, good luck. Uh, we'll go to different places throughout the Scriptures, mostly in Mark, but I'll bounce around some. Eventually I'll get to Ephesians chapter 2. You can look at that. Um, but for now, I just encourage you to listen and to think about these stories. I hope they're familiar. I bet they are. I hope there's something. Oh, yeah, I know that one. I've thought about that one. I've taught about that one. I've read it over and over. But I want you to just to listen 
and, and, and pay attention to God's mercy in some of the familiar stories of Jesus' life. And it all begins with Jesus' coming. You know, the humble way in which he entered the earth. You know, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us um, mysteriously as a little baby in this little town in the middle of nowhere in such a humble way. Mercifully, God enters the world and it says that Jesus is a visible expression of the invisible God, that we can see God. God chose to come and live among us so that we don't have to wonder who he is or what he's like or what would he do or why we can see him. In his mercy, God comes to earth and lives and walks among us. And now we have an incredible way to know the unseeable God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ. That is mercy. In his mercy, God showed up in a way that we can understand. And then he did things, and he said things, and he, and he lived life. Um, John 2, he goes to this wedding. You know, his first miracle is at the wedding. He's, he's, he's just living life. He's at a wedding, and somehow Mary gets drawn into this. The, the host has run out of wine, and I don't know if Mary had a wine shop, or I, I don't know why he went to Mary. It's interesting, really. Why did he go to Mary? But he did. Mary, I'm out of wine. What am I going to do? Did he know about Jesus? I don't know, but what does Jesus do? He steps in. Uh, it's not my time. But I'll do it. Go get those stone jars and fill them with water. You know the story. They bring these big jars and they lay them up there. And he now dips them out. Dip out the water. He dips out the water. And of course, what is it? It's some of the best wine they've ever had. And they say, this is, usually they save the good stuff for the, for the beginning. Get the cheap stuff at the end. But no, you save the best for last. It's just mercy. In a moment of need in this, this family's crisis, Jesus steps in. It's not his time yet, but he'll do it. He just shows up. Um, Mark 1, the story of the man with leprosy. I love that story. You know, a leper is someone who's, who's an outcast. He's unclean. He's condemned. He's, he's, he's ceremonially. He's not a part of the community. He's not a part of the synagogue. He's not a part of anything, really. He, he lives this life of loneliness. And, and he comes to Jesus in a crowd of people. And I've always just envisioned it like this. aisle it just, it just parted as he came because they saw him coming. And they didn't want to touch him. And they didn't want to interact. And he comes and he falls at Jesus' knees. And he asks him, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And you know what Jesus does, right? reaches out his hand and touches the man first. I am willing, he said. I'm willing. Be clean. And then he heals him. Jesus healed a leper, but yeah, he, Jesus touched a leper before he healed him. I love that. You see his mercy. He calls his disciples unschooled, unlikely, ordinary, that's how they're described, who were so unworthy of this recruitment. Guys from all walks of life. What are you doing hanging out with that guy? I can't believe he's with them. Those are just, that's exactly what Jesus did. He took people's lives engaged them and took them places they never thought they'd go. The story of the paralytic in Mark 2, another one of my favorites, just the, the chaos of that story. You know, a room full of people, teachers of the law, people learning, just clamoring to be with Jesus. And all of a sudden, someone's tearing a hole in the roof. And I love just to think, what was he, what was the look on his face as all that transpired? It had to take a few minutes. What was the look on Jesus' face as the rubble fell and then finally they lower this guy? And, and then Jesus speaks to him, mercy. Son, your sins are forgiven. No one was looking for that. They were hoping maybe he could get up and walk. But Jesus speaks mercy to that. And then he hears the grumblings of the, of the Pharisees and teachers in the room and addresses them with mercy. But in the end, the guy walks out. And they're all amazed. Bartimaeus, you know that story? A man born blind. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people, Shh, don't bother. He's on his way somewhere. There's a huge crowd of people. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He yells it louder and louder. And finally, Jesus says, stop. Tell him to come to me. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus had mercy on him. He walked out forever changed in view of God's mercy. How do we keep God's mercy in view? You know the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? I mean, she's set up, dragged from this tryst into the front of a group of religious leaders in the most intimidating and frightening moment of her life. She's pretty sure she's going to be killed, half-clothed, scared to death, thrown in front of Jesus. Teacher, the law says we're to stone a woman such as this. What do you say? He doesn't say anything. What does he do? He kneels down and starts writing in the sand. Takes, and in mercy, he takes the attention off the woman and puts it on himself. And then he stands up and says something incredible. Whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone. And I, I just love that moment. How long did it take for everyone to walk away as the rocks hit the ground and, and the guys left? Jesus straightened up again and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The story of the rich young ruler who proudly comes to Jesus. You know, he's, he's rich, he's young, he's got it all together. A nice chariot, sweet horse, I don't know. He had everything going, you know. He shoves up to Jesus. What do I have to do to have it? He didn't have eternal life. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother, do all these things. And he says, Lord, I've done all those since I was a boy. Now, whether he'd done them or not, I, I don't know. But he was really full of himself. Um, but in mercy, um, look what happens. He says, teachers, all these, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's what it says in verse 21. In the, in the face of his pride and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he walks away sad because Jesus challenged him. But Jesus loved him. In mercy, Jesus spoke into this guy's life. Matthew 14, Jesus gets news that his good friend and cousin John the Baptist has been brutally murdered by Herod. And he just wants some space. He just wants to get away with his disciples. And so they, they get in a boat and they go to the other side of the lake. And as they go, I guess folks are running around. But there's a huge crowd when he gets there. In Mark 6, 34, it says, When they arrived and saw such a large crowd... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Even as Jesus is just trying to get away, get some space. He's, he's sad. He's, he's got to be worn out. But there he is, ready to mercifully love and lead and teach. And he winds up just feeding the 5,000. That's the crowd that he runs into there. Spends a lot of time with them. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy... Judas, the Last Supper. You know, Jesus knew exactly who Judas, Judas was and exactly who he wasn't and what he was up to. But what does he do as they get ready for the meal? He washes his feet. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's headed. And yet Jesus mercifully washes Judas's feet. And then he shares a meal with him. You know, the one I'm, whose hand is in the bowl with me is the one who will betray me. He knows exactly what's coming. Yet he mercifully loves him. Peter, just a little bit later, Lord, if all these people fall away, I will never fall away. I promise I would die before I would deny you, Jesus. No way. Jesus loves Peter. <laughs> he knows what he's going to do. And sure enough, Peter denies him. You know what happens? John 21. Um, there they are again uh, on, on the lake fishing. And I love that story because that Peter met Jesus 
pretty similar story, a miraculous catch of fish. And here again, the, the fish, the nets are full. Peter jumps out of the boat and runs or swims, whatever, to the shore. It's the Lord. And he gets there. And I think he thinks, oh, gosh, <laughs> last time I saw him, I, I did what I said I wasn't going to do. And, but what does Jesus do? They go and have breakfast and they have this intimate conversation. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. Jesus fully restores him. Fully um, forgives him. Puts him right back where he was and then says, you're going to do great things. You're going to go places you don't want to go, but I'm going to be with you. And then ultimately we see Jesus' mercy at the cross. And he was fully in control, but he fully submitted for us. And as he was there, he cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Forgive these people who are beating me and mocking me and spitting on me and torturing me. They don't know what they're doing. That's God's mercy personified. So the thing is, how do we keep that mercy in view? One way that we see it clearly is through looking at Jesus in his life. Um, Secondly, I think we see God's mercy in our own lives. I think hopefully we all have a story. You know, for me, it was New Hanover High School in 1985. I was a senior in, in high school and had kind of quit going to church for the most part and was uh, just kind of disinterested, believed in God, but didn't really know much about him. And, um, but there was young life and there was a, I had a persistent friend and a girlfriend that convinced me to go. Finally, my senior year, I'll go to this young life thing and went on one to one young life club and then went on a week, weekend camp trip to Myrtle Beach. And I heard the gospel. I heard of God's mercy like I'd never heard before. I heard about sin and and how separate I was from him, and about God's love and Jesus' death and the reality of that. And we all have a story. I hope you all have a story of where you first understood God's love, where you first um, realized his mercy for you. And since then, I, I've been up and down and fumbled and bumbled and stumbled through life, uh, you know, victories and, and failures. And, uh, but God's mercy has been an incredible part of my life. But so often I don't live in view of that. I forget the things. I forget the ways he's shown up. I forget the moments that um, that crystallize. And I get my vision is clouded by all the other things of the world, all the other things that are part of my reality. Um, So we see God's mercy in in Jesus's life. We see it in our own lives. And also we see it in the lives of those around us. And that's, you know, just an obvious statement. But I think it's it's so easy to, to miss God's hand and God's work in the world around us and the people around us. When our focus is on ourselves, or on our work or on our family or on the sports or school or all the things that consume us. Um, there's nothing wrong with those things. But I think that the key to this scripture is uh, the challenge to live in light of God's mercy. Um, to open our eyes and our hearts to see God's mercy in a way that changes the way we look at the world. It's a simple and yet profound challenge to live in view of God's mercy, with God's mercy in our view, to see life, our lives through the filter of God's mercy. But that's just the beginning of what Paul says in these verses, really. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to do something. So the question is, what does it look like to live in view of God's mercy? So he says, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing God, holy and pleasing to God. 
um, a living sacrifice, that seems like an oxymoron, especially to the, the people in those days, because they understood sacrifice. Sacrifice was you took a lamb and you, you killed it and bled it out and you cut it up and put it on the altar and, you know, and burned it to honor God. Sacrifice. Now, that's a pretty harsh reality to be a sacrifice. But to be a living sacrifice, that's different than a dead sacrifice. So for us, we make sacrifices, don't we? For, for school, for our kids, for our friends. Maybe we give things away, give God money, um, you know, tithe, do, serve. Make sacrifices. I've made so many sacrifices to get to this place. But I don't know if that's what he's talking about. A living sacrifice. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The idea of daily responding to God. Laying down our lives for him daily. Maybe it's how we spend our time. It's the things we focus on. It's the way we spend our money and treat people. A living sacrifice to daily, daily respond. It's an ongoing lifestyle of response to God's mercy. That's what I would say. A living sacrifice is an ongoing life of response to God's mercy. Our spiritual act of worship, true and proper worship. But Paul then gives a little more of a description in verse 2. And he, points, and he points to an incredible promise. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform. A, a living sacrifice lives contrary to this world. Um, a person who's living life through the lens of God's mercy is naturally going to live differently. If I'm dialed into God and the things that he's doing, if I'm paying attention to Jesus and if I'm a keenly aware of the ways I've seen God in my life. It's different. My life is different, isn't it? You have places where you've been where you really feel like, gosh, I was so close to God. That place, that camp, that week, that moment, that mission trip, that time we went and did this. It just felt different. I think a lot of times it's just because our focus is on so many other things. Um, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Um, A person who's living in view of God's mercy sees things different And lives differently, not conforming, choosing to take steps. God calls us to sacrifice. Sacrifice is not conforming. Not conforming is living differently. It's walking a different path. Uh, Not out of duty, but out of view of God's mercy. I think that's the key. So not conforming, that's our efforts. We don't conform. You don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't think we can transform ourselves. I'm not really sure. I haven't studied that. But it seems to me that transformation is something that happens from without. But that's God's hand. Do not conform. That's our response. We begin to take steps. But then be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has a hand in this too. As we live in light of his mercy, as we begin to take steps in our lives to follow him, to walk down the path he calls us to, it says that God will transform us, make us something new by the renewing of our minds. A renewed mind sees things differently. A renewed mind is able to get past the past, uh, to see the beauty of the world and the potential of things to come. It's an ongoing process. Renewing implies that it happens again. A renewing. His mercies are new every morning. To have our minds renewed is an incredible idea. That's what it says, that God will renew our minds, make them new, allow us to think differently, to process differently, to see things differently, and ultimately to live differently. And that's where the promise goes. So if we try to put it all together, I think it goes like this. If we can take steps to live 
in view of God's mercy, I believe we'll be motivated and enabled to live in response to that. If we can see God's mercy, we'll be motivated and enabled to live in response to that. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not conforming to the pattern of the world. And as we do those things, God begins to transform our minds, to renew our minds. He changes our perspective and he enables us to, to see what he's doing. And then he takes us down the path that he has for us. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So if we can live our lives in view of God's mercy, to see through that lens, to keep his mercies before us, the promise is that he'll change our lives. He'll take us in a different way. We won't conform. We will become living sacrifices. And then also he will transform our minds and enable us to see his will, to understand his ways and to walk in them. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is an incredible promise. But it all begins with our perspective. So a simple message from a, um, a very familiar scripture this morning is what can we do to live in view of God's mercy, to live our lives with God's mercy in view? It starts by, I think, by paying attention to Jesus's life, to digging into his word, to, to letting the stories that maybe have become familiar and not old, but familiar. And I've seen that. I've thought that I've taught that or heard that. To, to go back to those things and let um, let God's mercy be renewed in our hearts. Um, maybe it's, it's taken time to reflect on our own lives and the way we've seen God and, and to celebrate those things, to take note, make note, to share it, to teach our kids, um, to tell them um, what you've seen and heard and felt and experienced over the years. And then also to celebrate the way we see God around us. Um, simple. But for some reason, I don't do it very well. I live my life in view of a lot of things, but often God's mercy isn't one of them. And one of my favorite things we get to do on Young Life staff is we'll have um, an assignment a lot of summers, a summer assignment where we'll go and work at a Young Life camp for a month, three weeks or a month, and fill a different role. This summer I'm going to be camp director at Windy Gap, session two. So from June 13th through July 13th, I'll be, my family and I will be in, at Windy Gap up in Asheville. And it's an incredible opportunity. I'll be a part of a staff team, speaker program, head leaders, um, you know, work crew bosses, all these different folks. And then there'll be about 40 or 50 high school students. Some of you, all I'm sure, have done this to do work crew for a month. They're there serving, washing dishes, serving tables, cleaning up, doing all these things. And there's college students there, summer staff who have to you know, work with the kids on the rides and do different things like that. And there's about 100 people that make up the team of an, assign, an assignment at a month at camp. And uh, I love it because you're in an incredible place. My family, I've had, I think I've had, this might be my 17th assignment, which is crazy. I spent that many months at a Young Life camp uh, over the years. And my family, my 17-year-old daughter, I think has been on, this will be her 16th assignment that she's been on. Um, it's an incredible place to be for a month. But what I love about it is because while we're there, this is a reality. Uh, and one of the things we do that I love is on, so camp goes from Sunday afternoon until Saturday evening. And then Saturday night, you kind of scramble, celebrate a little bit. And then Sunday morning, you'll have a worship service with the hundred or so people that are there for the month. And inevitably, what we do is we'll do what we call God sightings. How did you see the Lord this week? And it's just neat to kind of watch different people, high school students, college students, you know, full-time staff, different folks throw their hands up. I saw, 
I saw Jesus this week in the way that my roommate served me when I wasn't feeling well. I saw Jesus, uh, summer staff kid who was on the, I was up on the mountain climb and I, I saw an incredible sunset. Or I, I watched this leader talk to his kid in, in this moment. Or I had a chance to share my faith with this kid that sat at my table. Or um, I saw God in the way um, we, I was served. It's just interesting to listen to a room of people look at, at life through God's mercy. I'm always so incredibly encouraged at those times. And I thought, gosh, why don't I have God's sightings every day at my house? You know, we get around the table and the chaos of dinner. And, uh, but I don't. But I should. And I think maybe I could at least once a week, you know. How have I seen God? Because when we celebrate God, when we admit and, and proclaim the things we see, um, Him doing in our lives and in the world around us, then we're so much more likely to see things through that lens. And as we see things through the lens of, of God's mercy, we're different. We live differently. And as we live differently, God transforms our minds and enables us to see and understand who he is and what he's doing in this world. And he directs us down the path of his will, which is good, pleasing and perfect. So it's simple, but I hope it's significant. This idea that uh, we can look at life through a different lens. And that lens is, is in view of God's mercy, to keep God's mercy in view. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to live your life, to let him uh, change you and renew you and, and take you to a place where maybe you never thought you'd go. That's what he'll do. But it takes our efforts of just paying attention. Yeah. And that's my hope. That we would do that. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the way you've redeemed our lives. You've taken us from, from death to life, from darkness to light, from um, despair to hope. And you've enabled us to somehow um, follow you. But Lord, you promise that as we do that, you won't just... Um, drag us along or lay a bunch of rules on us, Lord, but you come alongside us, you walk with us, you walk through us, and you begin to change us. And as we turn to you, as we see more of you, you um, fill us up with your Holy Spirit, you renew our minds, you, you change the way we see the world. And as we do that, Lord, we're more like you. And God, I just pray that would be true in us today, that we would celebrate the fact that there is a God who mercifully, mercifully loves us and who has an incredible desire to lead and fill our lives. So God, we give you thanks for your mercy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.